Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ken. Are you thankful for that Savior this evening, church? For that blood that saved even you and me. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I had some stains that needed to be washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I thank you for being in the house of the Lord this evening. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've been together on Wednesday because of the holidays, but I'm grateful that you're here. I pray that you're blessed by the word and by the presence of the Lord. You can go ahead and put on my first slide. For any of you who are not aware, I have started a series several weeks ago on stories that changed the world, and they were they are all about the parables of Jesus Christ. The parable that I want to talk to you about this evening is the parable of the narrow door taken from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 uh, through 30. I'm not going to get through all the verses, but I'm going to try to cover as much as I can. Uh, there's a lot that can be uh, preached on or taught on in this verse, so we'll just see how far the Spirit of the Lord takes me this evening. There's several things that I know the Lord put on my spirit. I'm going to try to get them all in this, uh, this evening. But before we do, as always, let's pray once again. Ask the Lord anoint me and anoint you as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a wonderful Savior, just as we heard about. Now we thank you for that blood that washes us white as snow, that grants us the ability to stand before you blameless with great joy. And Father, I thank you for those that have made their way into the house of the Lord tonight, and I pray, God, that you wouldn't disappoint them, that they would be moved by your word, changed by your word, stirred by your word. I pray, Father, that you would anoint myself, that you would anoint my mouth, the words that I would speak, O oh God, that you would anoint every listener that's in this place. Uh, Father, that they would have ears to hear and hearts to listen. I pray against every distraction, every hindering spirit that would try to snatch away the words of the seed that is going to be sown this evening. And it is my prayer that it finds a place in the soil of all of our hearts and that we might from it bear fruit and fruit that lasts. I pray, God, that you would help us to be obedient to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Luke chapter 13, verse 22 and 30. Starting in verse 22, it says, He, meaning Jesus, went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And before I read any further, I wanted to let you know, or I wanted to, the first thing that I wanted you to see in this passage of Scripture is in this very first verse. And that was the fact that Jesus, whether you see it or not, Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a vision. Jesus had a goal. Jesus had a direction that he was going, and that was to make his way to Jerusalem. We're going to find out as I go through this parable what that reason was, what his plan was, what was taking place in Jerusalem. But I want you to understand and always realize that all throughout Jesus' life, he had a goal. He had a vision. He had a plan. His goal was to be pleasing to the Father in all that he did. His vision or his, his plan, his, his aim was to go to the cross so that you and I might be reconciled to the Father. And I say that just to let you know that the same way you and I have to have a vision as well. You and I have to have a goal. You and I have to have a purpose in our spiritual life. And it is my prayer in this year, 2009, that you have a spiritual purpose, that you have a spiritual goal, that you haven't just haphazardly say, okay, God, it's 2009, we'll see what happens. You see, the Word of God tells us, before I even get into this parable, that without a vision, my people perish. 
I want you to understand that as we go through this parable, you're not going to make it to heaven if you don't have a vision. You're not going to make it to heaven if you don't have your eyes set on the author and the finisher of your faith, who is Jesus Christ. You and I, the closer we get to the coming of the the King, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, our life is going to be filled with distractions. Our life is going to be filled with disappointments and discouragements. And if we don't have a vision... If we don't have a goal, if we don't have a path that we know that we're going to be walking on, we will be sorely disappointed as to the destination that we find ourselves in. So I wanted you to know, first of all, that we must have a vision in our life. As Jesus was journeying towards Jerusalem, it says in verse 23 that someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. And I'm going to stop again because I want you to see that one person asked Jesus a question. Yet the word says he said to all of them, strive to enter by the narrow door. I say that to let you know that Jesus wasn't just talking to one person. Jesus' answer to this question is for every single person that heard it. He was speaking to the crowd in response to one question that he was asked. So I want you to know again that this answer is for you and me. This answer is for everyone that would one day read these words that were recorded in the word of God, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. I'm going to stop once again. I don't want you to think like I'm going to do this the whole night, but there's several things I want you to see. Strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, Jesus said. He made that clear. He said, I tell you, because Jesus wants you to be aware that throughout your Christian life, there are going to be other individuals that are telling you things that aren't true. There's going to be other individuals that will tell you there's a thousand ways to the Father, and there's a thousand ways to get there. There are other individuals that will tell you things that are contrary to the Word of God. There's individuals that will tell you that once you're saved, you're always saved, and I'm not going to get into a theological discussion with you tonight, but Jesus is telling you that you've got to strive to enter through the narrow gate for many, the word says, will seek to enter and they won't find their way in. You and I need to realize that Jesus tells the truth. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. On numerous occasions, Jesus, when he is talking to his disciples, says, I tell you the truth. This is one of the occasions where Jesus is telling the truth. And he says, no matter what anybody else tells you, No matter what else you hear, if it's contrary to the Word of God, if it's contrary to what I'm telling you today, it's not true. And he says, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the householder or once the master has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I do not know where you are came from or come from, then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you again, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. 
There you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. And it goes on a couple more verses, which I'm not going to read right now. But before I even get into the parable itself, I like to give you some history and I like to give you some background so you understand better the parable that Jesus is telling. So before we even get to the parable, I want you to know that Jesus spoke this parable to his disciples and to those in the cities that he stopped in uh, Uh, on his way to Jerusalem uh, for a feast of dedication. That's what Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for. It was to take part in the feast of dedication, which we'll look at in just a little bit, in just a little bit. But I want you to also know that it was during the winter season that Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. I want you to understand the reason that I'm speaking these words and giving you the little background is that Jesus spoke these words about striving. And he spoke these words about a narrow door. He did his father's will and he, 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 he did what his father had bid him to do when it was uncomfortable, when it was the most difficult time of the year to travel, when it seemed to be inconvenient. Yet we find Jesus, even in the winter season, even when it was difficult, even when there could have been a better time to travel, we still find him faithful to his father's call. We still find him about his father's business. And that should tell us quite a bit, church. It should tell us that if we want to be like Christ, whether it's convenient or not, we need to be about the father's business. Whether it's sunny or it's not, we need to be about the father's business. You see, there's never a convenient time to serve the Lord because serving the Lord is all about self-denial. You see, if you want convenience, you can go to the supermarket. If you want convenience, you can go to a restaurant or a fast food place where people serve you. But when it comes to to being part of the kingdom of God, a lot of times it's not convenient. And a lot of times doing the Father's will is uncomfortable. Yet Jesus remained faithful to his Father's call. I bring this to your attention again because I want you to understand that the road to righteousness, like I said, isn't always easy. It will be paved with difficulties. It will be paved with disappointments. It will be paved from time to time with discouragement and disillusionment. But in the midst of it all, Jesus wants us to be faithful. In the midst of it all, he wants us to what? He wants us to strive. He wants us to not give up and not give in. He wants us to persist and he wants us to pursue. He doesn't want us to throw in the towel or turn our back. He says, I want you to strive to enter through the narrow gate. The road to righteousness isn't always easy, church. The way of the Lord isn't convenient and it's not comfortable. Like I said, we have to understand that doing the Father's will is often quite times very difficult. You know it as well as I do. To do the will of the Father sometimes is a difficult thing to do. And yet what? God still calls us to do it. He still calls us to be faithful. The Lord calls us to be faithful regardless. I I mentioned this season because he calls us to be faithful regardless of the spiritual season we find ourselves in. 
You know as well as I do that there are many spiritual seasons that we go through. Seasons of lack and seasons of prosperity. Seasons of sickness or seasons of health. Seasons of sadness and sorrow and seasons of great joy. But whatever that season is, Jesus is saying, I still want you to be faithful. I still want you to strive. I still want you to pursue godliness and holiness as a way of life. I still want you to seek my face. I still want you to worship. I still want you to be about my business or about my father's business. This is what God wants us to understand, that that no matter what season we are in, we should walk faithfully in our duties to Christ. We should walk faithfully to our Jerusalem, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in just a moment, but we should always walk faithfully. You see, the reality is some of you have been there. I've been there. We find ourselves in a season of lack and all of a sudden we lose hope and we lose faith. Uh, We we lose uh, our affection and we lose our desire to worship God. We find ourselves in a season of sickness and and all of a sudden we lose uh, our affection towards God or we lose our hope or we lose our faith. You see, the season should not dictate our faithfulness to God. Because no matter what season we are in, God is always faithful to us. He endured every storm. He endured every sorrow. He endured the heartache. He endured the shame. He endured even the cross so that we might come into communion with the Father. He wants us to do the same. He was faithful to us even to the point of death. And Jesus is saying, look, if you want to enter through the narrow gate, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, you must strive to do so. The road to righteousness isn't for the weak. The road to righteousness isn't for the mediocre. The road to righteousness isn't for the lazy. It is for those who are willing to strive. This is what God is saying. That you must strive, that you must take pains, that you must make an effort to enter through the narrow gate. For I tell you, Jesus said, many will seek to get in, but they will not enter. And and we're going to look at later why. Another thing that I want you to notice, church, is that Jesus, according to this passage of Scripture, didn't just stop at the big cities to preach a sermon or two. There's a whole lot of truth in here, and I could preach a lot of sermons on just one or two of the verses, but these are things that I want you to see, that Jesus didn't just stop in the big cities to preach a sermon or two. He didn't limit His ministry to the well-to-do's. He didn't leave his ministry or reserve his ministry to just those that had deep pockets or had positions of power or held positions of prestige. He didn't reserve or just hold back his ministry just for the rich and famous. He made his way to the obscure little cities and the obscure little villages and to the obscure little towns. He made his way to the backwoods. He made his way into the highways and into the byways, and he made himself manifest to even the shepherds who were keeping watch over the flock by night. To the minuscule individuals, we need to have that same heart. We need to have that same mind that we are willing to do ministry for God no matter where it takes us. No matter whether we got recognition or not, no matter whether we got our name up in lights or got got some title on a card that we're given, whether we see our name in the worship folder or not, 
We've got to be willing to do ministry no matter where that ministry takes us. Jesus was doing exactly what he called his disciples to do and his followers to do when he had ascended to the Father and he said, Go into all the earth and preach the good news and the gospel to everyone, everywhere, even when you're not recognized even when you're not applauded, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when the season is not right, even when you're sad, even when you're filled with sorrow, even when you're sick, even when you're suffering lack, I still want you to do my will. I still want you to strive to enter through the narrow gate. I still want you to be a mouthpiece for God. When we do that, When we are a mouthpiece, listen to me, oh my Lord, when you are a mouthpiece for God in the midst of your sickness, those words come to life. They have the power to change lives. When your mouth and your words, and you speak the the truth of God and the word of God, even in the midst of lack and of great sorrow and suffering, those words that you speak are filled with the power to change lives. Because the people that you're speaking it to look at you and they say, look at them. They've lost everything. They're sick. They've got cancer. Their husband walked out. Their wife walked out. And they are still faithful. There must be something about what they're saying. There must be something about this God that they're directing me to. You see, when we are not faithful, when we fail to strive and we try to share the good news and the gospel, our words are dead and they're empty. They don't have power, power to change, power to bring life. This is what God is calling us to do. It was that important. I wanted you to understand and realize that God did not reserve his ministry for the rich and the famous. His ministry was to you. And to me, it was to the rich and to the poor, to the black and to the white, to the well-to-dos and to the not-well-to-dos. It was for the princes and the kings and for the paupers as well. We need to understand that, whether we are recognized or not. I hate to tell you, I've been in ministry a long time, not just here in this church, and I have seen people come into the church. Well, I'll do, I'll do service for the king as long as I'm recognized. As long as I get that front row, as long as I get my name up in lights, as long as I do all these things. And Jesus is thinking, oh my Lord, if I could just have a servant, if I could just have someone that is willing to take that seat at the end of the table so that when the master shows up, he can exalt him to a higher level. Oh my God, if the house of the Lord was filled with individuals that are just willing to serve and say, I'll serve no matter I get the applause, no matter I get the recognition. Oh God, if you want me to work in the nursery, I'll work in the nursery. If you want me to work in security, I'll work in security. If you want me to work in whatever in your house, I'll do it, God. Because I want to be profitable to the master. I want to be fit and ready for every good work. This portion of the parable uh, with Jesus traveling in the winter season when it's difficult, it reminds me of a story that I know I've told a couple times. If you've heard it, you'll hear it again. But I want to tell it to you one more time because it sets the stage for where I'm going and where Jesus is going in this parable as well. And I'll see how far I get. 
But there's a story of a young man who calls on his sweetheart one night just to let her know how deeply in love with her that he really is. He wants to really let her know how strongly he's in love with her. And he says to her, I love you with all of my heart, my dear. As a matter of fact, I love you so much that I would climb the highest mountain just to look down upon the beauty of your face, just to see you from afar, he says. The young lady is smitten by his sweet words of affection, and she says to the young man, I never knew you loved me so much. Tell me more, tell me more, she says. The young man is now trying to prove his love, replies and yes, says, yes, I do love you that much. I love you so much that I would brave the fiercest jungle. I would fight the wildest beast just to be by your side, just to hold you by the hand, he says. Her ears are now clinging to every word that spills from his lips. As, and she asks him to continue with his verbal display of affection. I've got her now, he thinks to himself, and he says, yes, my love, there is nothing that could keep me from your presence. I would swim the roughest waters. I would endure the strongest of storms just to hold you in my arms and feel the warmth of your embrace. Her heart is fluttering within her and anxious to be with her beau who has just expressed expressed the depths of his affection, says, Oh, my love, I can't wait to see you. What time can you come over for dinner tonight? As to which he replies, As soon as it stops raining, I'll be there. And what we need to understand, church, is that with our lips, we can show much love. But our affections can still be far from the one we confess our affection to. With our lips, we can show or speak about dedication, but our hearts can still be far from the one we say we love. The truth is, church, that with our lips, we can say, I love you without our hearts ever making it. Listen to Jerusalem. With our heart, without our hearts ever making it to that place of dedication, to that place of consecration, to that place where we give everything that we have to the Most High God. This is where He is calling us to. He is calling us to a Jerusalem. He is calling us to the Feast of Dedication. He is calling us to that place we are willing to consecrate ourselves and offer everything we have to God. You see, God is tired of the lip service. God is tired of the individuals that say, Oh, I love you, but I I won't do anything for you. Oh, I love you, but I won't serve you. Oh, I love you, but I won't obey you. Oh, I love you and I want from you, but you can't have everything that I have. You see, Jesus is looking for an individual who is willing to offer everything they have to the one they say they love. If you love me, Jesus said, you will do what I say. If you love me. We better be real careful when we say, oh God, I love you. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be very careful to make an oath and don't keep it. Don't tell God you're going to do something and not follow through. We need to understand that with our lips we can show much love, but our hearts still not be sold out. This is part of what I want you to see. 
This is part of what we need to understand. Remember, Jesus was headed toward the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Dedication. It was also called the Festival of Lights, or you might call it Hanukkah today. And I'm not going to get into the full meaning. I'm not going to get into the tradition. I'm not going to get into the historical relevance that surrounds the celebration. But I am going to let you know that at its heart, at its origin, at its core, the Feast of Dedication was all about a time of rededication. That's what it was at its core. It was a time of devoting oneself to holy use. And we're going to look at that in just a second. It was a time of consecration. It was a time of separating oneself from the, the, the vile, uh, contaminating things of this world and consecrating ourselves unto God. Or dedicating ourselves to the Lord. It was a time, the Feast of Dedication was a time to celebrate the historical purging of the temple that was once defiled by a man named Antiochus Epiphanes who offered swine upon the altar of the Lord. It was a man that offered something that was unclean in the temple of the Most High and Holy God. You see, swine were unclean, and this man came in, this wicked, vile man came in, and he offered swine upon that which was holy. He offered swine upon that which was sacred. He offered swine upon that which was to be consecrated unto the Lord. This is what that celebration was all about. It was about the purging of that temple which was once dirty, that temple which was once unclean. But now made clean. It's exactly why Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 1, that we are to present ourselves to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. You see, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is reminding us and Paul is reminding us that we cannot come before the Lord unclean, only for forgiveness. We cannot come before the Lord unclean or we will be unacceptable to the Lord. You see, you need to understand and I need to understand that we cannot defile the temple of the Lord with those things that are unclean. When we come into the house of the Most High God, when we come into the presence of the Holy One of Israel with an unclean heart, with sin in our lives that is unconfessed, we're not acceptable to God. That might sound hard to a lot of you. I found myself in that place in times in my life where I had sin hiding in my heart and I thought I could come into the presence of God and that He would accept my worship and He would accept my praise. But the Bible tells us that unless we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, unless we come with a broken and a contrite heart, unless we are allowing God access to our soul and we come into His presence... With sin, we're not acceptable. He will not accept our praise. He will not accept our worship. He will not accept. He'll take our offering and he'll use it, but you won't be rewarded in return. When you and I come into the presence of a most high God with uncleanness in our lives, we're not acceptable. Nor is anything that we offer to God. That sounds hard, but that is the truth. It is the word of God. The only thing that he will accept from a sinner is the cry of repentance. The only thing that he will accept from you and I when we have sin in our life is a broken and a contrite heart that says, God, forgive me, for I have sinned against heaven and earth just like David did. 
You and I have to pursue that on a regular basis. You and I have to be willing to come before a holy God with a broken and a contrite heart, or we will not be acceptable to the Lord. This is, this is what God has said. We must have a repentant heart. The reality is today, though, I said that because I want you to know that today we are the temple of the Most High God. Today, you and I, the Bible says, are the dwelling place of Jehovah. And we, too, must consecrate ourselves and sanctify ourselves on a regular basis. Paul said, I sanctify myself daily. Why? So that he would always be acceptable to God. So that he would always know that he was pleasing to the Lord. So that he would always know that his praise and his worship would be accepted by God. That, that any uh, funds or, or tithes or offerings that he would give would be multiplied in return. This is why Paul sanctified himself daily. It's why he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 21 to Timothy, whoever cleanses himself, and I'm reading from the Amplified, whoever cleanses himself from what is ennobled and unclean, Whoever separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences of the world will then be a vessel set apart. He will then be a vessel that is useful for honorable and noble purposes. He will then be consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work. The reality is, unless we make our way to the feast of dedication... Unless we make our way to that place of consecration, that place where we uh, dedicate ourselves to the Lord, regardless of the season, regardless of what the weather might be like in your life, regardless of how inconvenient or uncomfortable it might be, we will be of no value to the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. In order for you and I to be of value in the kingdom of God, in order for you and I to be profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work, you and I must separate ourselves from the things of this world. This is part of the parable that Jesus is telling you, telling his disciples, if you want to enter through the narrow gate, you've got to strive to stay right before God. You've got to strive to separate yourself from the things of this world. You've got to strive to separate yourself from the sins of this world, from the lust of the flesh, from the lust of the eyes, and from the pride of life. Because if you don't separate yourself from these things, you can't be profitable to me. You won't be fit and ready for any good work. You will strive, you will work, but it won't be ministry. There'll be no reward for your service is what Jesus is basically telling us. And we risk, if, if this is us, we risk missing the kingdom as well, which we're going to look at in just a minute. But before we do, the next thing I want you to see is that as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem, someone asks him a question, the Bible says. If you read it and you look at it, there's no name, there's no face. There's no identity to this person. There's no reference to, made to who this individual might be. It could have been anyone. It could have been a rich person, a poor person. It could have been a, a Jew or a Gentile. It could have been uh, young or old. It could have been you or me that's asking this question. But the reality is who asked the question, there's no detail because who asked the question isn't as important as what was asked and even more importantly, Jesus' answer, which we're going to look at. The question was that was posed to Jesus, will those who are saved be few? 
And on the surface, that sounds like a real good question, but we're going to look at it. The question is, will those who are spared judgment, Jesus, be few? Will those who enter into the kingdom of God, will those who see heaven be few? And the first thing that I want us to see in this question is what wasn't asked. This anonymous individual didn't ask. Think about it, church. They didn't ask, Jesus, will I be one of those that are saved? They didn't ask, will I be counted among those who enter into the kingdom of God? This anonymous individual didn't ask, will I personally, Jesus, be part of those few that make it into, into the kingdom? This individual didn't ask like another individual, another man once did in Scripture, when he said, what must I do, Jesus, to be saved? You see, the reality is the one that asked this question excluded himself from the question. It was a generic question. It wasn't a personal question. There was no accountability in the question that the man asked. He left himself out. The reality is you and I and a lot of people in the household of faith, we do the very same thing. We do not take personal responsibility for our spiritual condition. We don't take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth. We'd rather avoid that. The reality is, listen, every single day, we must be willing to take personal responsibility for the spiritual condition of our soul. We cannot leave it up to somebody else. Every single day, we must be willing to include ourselves in the question, Jesus, what must I do? I don't care, Jesus, what this person does. What must I do? I don't care what my husband or my wife does or my friend does or my boss does. I don't care what the person sitting in front of me does or behind me does. What must I do, Jesus, to be pleasing to you? What must I do, Jesus, to enter into the kingdom of God? What must I do, Jesus, to be profitable to the master? What must I do, Jesus, to be fit and ready for every good work? What must I do, Jesus, to be consecrated to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You see, there's a huge difference in the question. We've got to start making the question personal. What must I do, Jesus, today? What must I do, Jesus, in 2009 to be all that you called me to be? What must I do, Jesus, to get closer to you? What must I do, Jesus, to overcome the temptations of life? What must I do, Jesus? And whether no one else does it or not, I'll do whatever I have to do to be everything that you've called me to be. You see, we can't go through our life asking God generic questions about everybody else. We've got to start taking personal responsibility. In 2009, the spiritual condition of my soul is up to me and no one else. It's not up to mommy or daddy. It's not up to my husband or my wife. It's up to me and God. We've got to stop putting all our hope in the pastor. We've got to stop putting all our hope in man, thinking they're going to get us to glory. They're not. There's only one person that will get you to glory, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can't get you there unless you consecrate yourself to him. Until you take personal responsibility for the condition of the soil of your soul. This is what this parable is all about. Every day we should ask God, what must I do?
I'm not sure why this man asked what he did. I'm not sure why he asked the question how he did. I, I, I began to think, and I, these are just thoughts, like you might have thoughts. I thought maybe he was considered a righteous man among the people. He didn't want his own righteousness being called into question by Jesus among his peers. Maybe, you know as well as I do, the last thing you or I ever want to do is have our spiritual uh, condition being made public sometimes. You see, I, I think maybe this man, again, this is my thinking, maybe he didn't want his relationship to the Father or, or, or his own righteousness being called into question by Jesus in front of those who considered him righteous, considered him a godly man or a, or a godly woman. You see, I talked to you about this a few times ago. You want to know why one of the greatest reasons a lot of people don't make it to the altar when they know they need to be here? Because they're worried about what everybody else will think. They're worried about what everyone else is going to say. They're worried about their reputation, about being holy and being righteous. Oh, I can't come up here because I'm not about to have my righteousness called into question. It's the truth. And it's pride. That keeps us from being exactly where God wants us to be so we can be all that he has called us to be. Maybe he was afraid of the truth, so he skirted the issue. Maybe like many of us, he simply didn't want to take personal responsibility for the condition of his soul. So he asked a generic question. Maybe Jesus will point to somebody else and not me. Or maybe I thought he was a self-righteous man. Maybe he was a Pharisee who already considered himself among the few. Maybe he thought, since Abraham is my father, I'm guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God. Maybe since Abraham is my father, maybe, maybe he thought I'm a Jew. Maybe he thought I'm already part of the chosen people. Maybe he thought I, I'm part of the royal priesthood and the holy nation. I, I must already be part of the few. I'm going to make my way to the kingdom of God just because Abraham's my father. Well, Jesus messed up all of that thinking. And in this parable, he lets us know that men came from the north and the south and the east and the west. And men from all around the world sat at the table in the kingdom of God. It wasn't just reserved for the Jews. It wasn't just reserved for the, the, the powerful and the prestigious. There are men from all around the world that will sit at the table in the kingdom of God, but they still must strive to get there. This is what I want you to understand. I'm asking myself these questions. Maybe this individual thought, oh, I come to church. I pay my tithes. I sing in the choir. I serve. I do the things that, that I think I should do. I, I've got my name on a membership roll. I was dunked in water 18 years ago. Surely I will be among the few. Maybe that's what he thought. Maybe the man was hoping that Jesus would let the crowd know that the kingdom of God was closed to the Gentile and it was only reserved for people like him, pharisaical Jews. But I want you to remember the story in Luke chapter 18, verse 10, when it tells us that two men went into the temple one day to pray. 
One was a self-righteous Pharisee who thought that he was greater than the man that walked in with him. He thought he was greater than everyone else. Actually, in his prayer came out the pride. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like that man back there. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm righteous. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like that one that comes into church all the time, dresses that way, and looks that way. Oh, God, I thank you. I'm above all that. That was one of them that entered into the king, into the temple to pray. While the other one, the Bible says, found his way to the back corner of the temple, out of the view of the, the Pharisee. And he began to beat on his chest. And he began to fall before the Lord. And he began to open up his heart to God. And in his own words, he said, What must I do to be saved? What must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? And there in the temple, he began to consecrate himself to the Lord. He began to separate himself from the sin while the, the Pharisee stood there absorbing the sin of pride into his life. And the Bible tells us that the one who thought, surely I'm part of the few, was not the one that was justified. It says only one man left justified that day. And it was the one with the broken and the contrite heart. It was the one that consecrated himself unto God. It was the one that was willing to separate himself from everything that was unclean in his life and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's the only one that left justified that day. This is part of what Jesus is trying to say in the parable. Listen, whether the one asking the question was a sinner or a saint didn't matter. Whether the, whether the individual was a Pharisee or a publican made no difference. Whether the individual was Greek or Hebrew, whether they were Jew or Gentile, didn't change one fact. And the fact is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The fact is that no one, no one is guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God outside of the work of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. I don't care what position you hold. I don't care how big your Bible is. I don't care who you say you are, who your daddy was, or who your grandpapa was. No one gets into the kingdom of God outside of the work of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, the truth is all must be included in the question, what must I do to be counted among the few? That's what the question should have been. Not will those who are saved be few, but what shall I do to make sure I'm saved, to make sure I'm part of those that enter into the kingdom of God? Listen, Jesus was on his way to the Feast of Dedication where each individual had to rededicate themselves to the Lord for God's holy use. This is one important thing that I want you to see, that the, the feast of dedication was a time where every individual had to rededicate themselves to God for His holy use. And I began to ask myself, when's the last time, Jeff, you dedicated yourself to God for holy use? 
When's the last time you dedicated your marriage to God for His holy use? When's the last time you dedicated your mind and your mouth and your words and your hands and your work and your time and your talents? When's the last time you dedicated your household and dedicated your son and your daughter to God for His holy use? This is a question we must all ask ourselves. When's the last time I came to that place in Jerusalem, to that place of dedication where I consecrated myself to God for His holy use? However you want to use me, God, here I am. Wherever you want to send me, God, there I will go. Whoever you want me to be, God, it's who I'll be. Consecrating ourselves unto God. For holy use. That's what the festival was all about. It might have a lot of other meanings. It might have a lot of other celebrations mixed in with it. But at its core, it was about committing and consecrating oneself to God. I want you to remember in Philippians 2.12, the word also reminds us that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. And a lot of times, listen, I know I'm running out of time. I know a lot of times we take that, that text out of context. We're living in sin. We're doing things that aren't supposed to be doing. We're gossiping. We're lying. We're cheating on our wife. We're cheating on our husband. We're doing all these things that shouldn't be right. And a brother or a sister comes to us and tries to address that, that, that potential devastation in our life. And he begins to reveal the sin. And what do we say? We use this text out of context. You worry about yourself. I'll worry about me. You work out your own salvation. I'll work out mine. That's not what this passage of Scripture means church. This passage of scripture means that you, in order to enter the, the kingdom of God, you, in, enter to, in, in, in order to enter through the narrow gate, you must work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. What this passage means is mama can't work out your salvation. Daddy can't work out your salvation. Your wife can't work out your salvation. Your husband can't work out your salvation. The reality is, church, what this passage of Scripture means, no matter how hard I try, I can't work out your salvation. The pastor cannot work out your salvation. you got to work it out all by yourself. You got to make your way to Jerusalem. You got to make your way to that place of consecration and dedication. And if you don't make it, you got no one to blame. Except you. You can't blame mommy when you stand before the Lord. You can't blame daddy before you stand before the Lord. You can't blame the pastor or anyone else when you stand before the Lord. And you see what they say. All the prophets in the kingdom and you yourself cast away. No one to blame but ourselves. I'm not saying that any of you are in this place. I'm just telling you and teaching you the parable that Jesus is teaching us. We got no one to blame. So we must all strive to enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said. It's not easy, but it's required. You go ahead and put on the music for me, Steve. I want you to understand, listen, the road of righteousness isn't easy, but it is required. I want you to understand the road of, uh, to faithfulness isn't easy, but it's required. To live a holy and a righteous life isn't easy, but it's required. To love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength isn't easy, but it is required. 
I hope you understand what I'm saying here. The way of the Lord, the will of the Lord, the, the narrow gate isn't easy, but it's required. And I, listen to me. I know that, that it's not by works that we are saved. I know that it is by grace that we are saved, the Bible says, and not by works, lest any man should boast. So I'm not, I hope you don't misunderstand me tonight in saying, oh, you've got to work your way into the kingdom of God. You've got to work your way into heaven. No, but you've got to strive to get there. You've got to strive to be pleasing to the Lord. You've got to strive to be righteous and holy. You've got to strive in prayer. You've got to strive in the Word. You've got to strive to be faithful to the house of the Lord. I also want you to understand in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, it says that the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all men. But it doesn't stop there. You see, a lot of times that's where we want the Word of God to stop. Oh, the grace of God has appeared for all men. But it goes on. And it lets us know that the grace of God appeared with instruction. It goes on and it tells us that the grace of God appeared with a call and it appeared with a requirement. It appeared, the Bible says, with instruction. And that instruction was to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live righteous and godly lives in the present age. We need to understand, yes, the grace of God. We can't earn or work our way into the kingdom of God, but we can never lose sight of the fact that when God sent His grace, He sent it with instructions. When God sent His grace into our life, it wasn't so we could trample all over it. It's, it. It wasn't so we could trample on the blood and on the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, here is my grace. Now here are some instructions. I want you to live in such a way that's pleasing to me. I want you to deny godlessness and, and lustly living. And I want you to pursue righteousness. And I want you to pursue godliness. I want you to pursue me. I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is what the, the parable is all about. Listen, I'm closing with this. Jesus was letting all of the listeners know in this parable, there's coming a time when many will seek to enter and they will not be able it's coming a time when many will find themselves on the wrong side of the door that Jesus is talking about. There is a door that all man will stand before. It's a door right now. It's a door of decision whether or not I'm going to enter in, whether I'm going to strive or not. But I want you to understand that there's coming where the, uh, there is a day when this door will become a door of distinction. And it will distinguish between those who are just playing games with God and those who strove. It, it, it will be a door of distinction that, that, that distinguishes between those who kind of just putzed around in their faith. Those who sought the Lord with all of their heart. Here's what I'm closing with. Many will say, let us in, Jesus said, but the door will be closed. Many will say, open up, Lord, but the door will remain shut. Why? Because many will have failed to strive. Many on that day will discover that they failed to take care of the soil of their soul. Many on that day will have discover that they failed to separate themselves from the contaminating influences of this world. Many on that day will discover they have never made it to that place of dedication and consecration. And here's, 
here's what we need to understand, church. There are a lot of individuals that their resolve to enter is weak, and that can't be us. There's some individuals, church, that will find themselves on that day uh, on the wrong side of the door because there was no seriousness to their striving. Because, because all of their efforts were nothing more than feeble attempts to please man instead of God. You see, the sad reality is there's a lot of people in the house of God because they want to please husband or they want to please wife. There's a lot of people in the house of God that, that are there because they just don't want the pastor to keep bugging them. They want to get the pastor off their back, so I'll appease them. There's a lot of people in the house of God because they want to make mommy happy or they want to make daddy happy. And their striving is nothing more than a feeble attempt to please man instead of God. But I want you to understand and know, church, that when you begin to strive to please God, when you begin to strive to please the Holy One of Israel, when you forget all about mommy and daddy and you forget all about husband and wife and you are willing to say, God, like I said, what must I do to enter through the narrow gate? Your life will change. You will become victorious. You will become strong. You will be able to endure through whatever season you find yourself in. Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. I'm closing with this. If it is your desire in 2009 to enter through the narrow gate, if it's your desire to say or willingness tonight to say, God, what must I do? To enter into the kingdom of God. What must I do to be pleasing to you? What must I do to be profitable to the kingdom? What must I do to be everything that you've called me to be? If you're willing tonight to say, God, I'm willing to ask that question. I want you to stand with me because we're going to pray. I want you to be willing to go before the Lord tonight with the question in your heart, God, what must I do in 2009 to get where you want me to be? And that's in the kingdom of God to enter through the narrow gate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, for the stories that change the world. And what I'm asking, God, is that you would change us this evening. God, I'm asking that you would change the hearts of the men and women at South Metro Ministries, that we would be all that you have called us to be. It is my prayer, God, that everyone in this place tonight is willing to ask the question, God, what must I do to come into your presence? What must I do to be profitable to the kingdom? What must I do, God, to be fit and ready for every good work? What must I do to make a difference in the kingdom of God? I pray, God, with all of my heart that all of us would make our way, not to some geographical location in Jerusalem, but, God, we would all make our way to the Feast of Celebration, to that place where we're willing to consecrate ourselves to you for holy use, for honorable use, not menial use and uh, not unprofitable use. God, not for use that makes no difference in the kingdom of God. It is my prayer that everyone here, God, is valuable to the kingdom of God. That everyone here becomes profitable to the master. That we can make a difference, God, in our households. 
that we can make a difference in our workplace, that we can make a difference in Noonan or Sharpsburg or Turin or Sonoya, in, in, the, in Coweta County or Fayette County or Douglas County or in Atlanta or wherever it is we come from, God. Let us be profitable to the kingdom, fit and ready for every good work because we have consecrated ourselves to Christ. Thank you for your word and thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said amen. Can we just bless the Lord for his word tonight, church?